When you're not opening presents this holiday season, try smashing your way through some tricky chocolate-coated levels on Candy Crush Saga. In between dinner and dessert, switch and match. During one of Uncle Mike's long stories, master the candy. There are thousands of levels to play in the all-time favorite classic match three game. Get that sweet feeling this holiday with Candy Crush Saga. Download it now from the App Store or Google Play for free. Yes, sir. Welcome to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. This is part two of So You Want to Buy a Home. Here's the part one recap. You started looking at properties through open houses, etc. You got your credit right and a pre-approval from the bank or not. You did some legwork and figured out what kind of home you wanted to buy. You selected a real estate agent, pulled your friends for cool neighborhoods, memorized our buying tips. Sean had quite a few in show one, and you were ready to hit the ground rolling. Then you found a house that you wanted to buy. And here we are. So we brought back Tony Barsakini, the Malibu slash Westside realtor, to sit in and chop it up with us one more time with the crew from Two Black Guys with Good Credit. What's up, Tony? What's going on, guys? How are you? We're good. We're glad to have you back. And as we do each week, Big Sean, why are we doing part two of So You Want to Buy a Home? Arlington. We couldn't do just one real estate show. Come on, this is my thing, man. There had to be a part two. You know how I love working with Tony as well. And the part that I'm enjoying, that I'm looking forward to doing, is negotiating. I'm the kingpin of negotiating. So no time to waste. Let's get this show popping. Well, there you have it, people. Sean, a.k.a. the king of negotiating. We'll be right back with two black guys with good credit. Keep it locked. Matt. Thanks, Arlington. Creating career opportunities for yourself is easier than you think. The workplace is changing fast, and BlackFreelance.com will help you build a flexible and profitable freelance business that will change your life. Freelancers around the world are out-earning and out-enjoying their employed counterparts in skill sets like writing, web development, accounting, legal work, and more. You can do the same at BlackFreelance.com, the community-based platform focused on meeting your needs as a black, independent professional. Organizations of all sizes, from local nonprofits to global Fortune 500 companies are ready and excited to work with independent professionals like you. Whether you want to earn extra money towards retirement or reinvent your career, make that change today at blackfreelance.com. Two Black Guys with Good Credit is a show for the financially curious and the financially knowledgeable. So, Tony, you're back in the saddle with the crew. So what have you been up to since our listeners last heard from you? I've been really busy lately. I've been seeing a lot of properties and just participating in the grind. How you guys doing? We're good. I'm good. Sean? Moving and shaking and staying awakened, you know, as I do. <laughs> Sean also wanted to say he's the only in dread in Brooklyn eating bacon. For goodness <laughs> sake. No, that's not. <laughs> Come on. You know what's yeah, shaking. I like that. <laughs> okay. So, Tony, Sean, so we went through everything in part one and now... Our listener has found a home they want to buy. It's time to make the offer. So what's the first thing you should ask yourself when you're moving into the offer phase, Tony? Talk about price with your realtor and don't waste any time. Any thoughts on that, Sean? Well, my theory is is to understand the economics of the market. No, understand if it's a buyer's or a seller's market. And if it's a buyer's market, I would say that you offer a price that, to me, is considered borderline insulting. But you offer the price with your homework being done. 
You don't just throw any number out there without a strong position. Now, just to make sure everybody's clear on what a buyer's market is, so that's when um, supply, so really the available properties available for sale, exceeds demand, which is the number of buyers seeking to purchase properties. So in that case, it puts the advantage in the buyer's hands. Exactly. And if it's a seller's market, I want you, I want you to have you agree, them on, agree on an offer to get them into contract. That's like Tony said. That, I agree with Tony's theory. If it's a seller's market, you want to get in contract fast. And once you're in contract, there's a number of ways you can still negotiate the price down or even negotiate a seller's concession, which means that at the end of the closing, the seller is going to give you back money. But you got to be careful if it's a market's hot because you, you, you could lose the property if you um, make the seller feel that you're playing around too much with the price. That is true. And you know what? I wanted to say something. If you listen to show one, you probably heard Sean say a number of times, when I speak with first-time home buyers, And one of the things we wanted to clarify is that Sean is saying that because he's helped a lot of people buy homes. Right, Sean? Too many to count, Arlington, including yourself in Malibu. You understand? Too many to count, brother. Too many to count. <laughs> put it on my grave. I helped. I saved the world and put everybody in a home. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I love about that? I don't actually live in Malibu. I have a store in Malibu. But you did help me with my first house and my second house, actually. So that is very true. So we just wanted to clarify that. So now getting back, the idea of the buyer's and seller's market, knowing whether you're in a buyer's market or a seller's market. Tony, is that important when you get into the offer phase? It's very important. I think the first thing is, is target your neighborhood because depending on the neighborhood, that shows you the strength of the market. And if you're in a really strong and expensive neighborhood where there's a quick turnover and a, a lot of buyers, then you got to really jump on it. But if you're in an area that's slower turnover, less buyers, uh, don't be so gun shy. Go for it. What is the homework you need to do when you're getting ready to make an offer? First, you have to do what's called comp, your comparables. You have to know what the house sold in the neighborhood, down the street, next door. And you talk about this with your realtor and they'll email you a comp. And then as you as a buyer, you start to look at them and then you can start to gauge what your first offer is going to be. Okay. And just to, you know, define it or to clear it up a little bit. Comparable is a real estate appraisal term referring to properties with characteristics that are similar. So essentially you're looking at two houses that are relatively the same to compare value and to do actually to compare pricing to determine value. Agree? Would you agree with that, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Tony's theory. In New York, I do it a little bit different. I go to propertyshark.com or acris.com to see the entire sales or history because real estate, as Tony mentioned, is, is public information. But I don't, I don't, I use this just to get a feel of the sales history. For example, if a property was sold a number of times the last few years, most likely it was an investor's property and it was being flipped. Or there could be issues with the property as well, and people are just trying to get out of it, you know, or the neighborhood and even as well. Okay, well, let's just talk about some of the simple math skills that tend to come into play at this point. Would you suggest that people need to do the simple thing of looking at the cost per square footage and asking themselves, if you know the cost per square footage of the homes that sold in your area, you multiply that by the size of the property you're buying, that's going to help you determine the value of that property, right? In New York, yes. Vertical living, high rises, apartments. In the West Side, it doesn't work that way because you have land and you have homes and you have freeways and good neighborhoods and bad neighborhoods. 
So one house could sell for 3.1 million and then across the street it could sell for 1.1. And it's kind of our job to educate the buyer and explain why there's that big difference. Okay, why is there usually that big difference? You have a major street, uh, you have a tear, tear down, you have a brand new construction, you have a remodel, you have a developer in the neighborhood that's spiked the market. This is getting deep right now. So many variables. So it's not just simple math. Definitely not. Dion, I stand corrected. Real estate is beyond a grade three level. I don't know how our president has done it, but it's beyond a grade three level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I thought I thought you would have chimed in after using Trump's name to talk about the art of the deal. Yes, I read the art of the deal. <laughs> In 1990, okay, before I knew what was going to happen, trust me. But, you know, making an offer requires, you know, key, great negotiating skills. But I think you should always be taking a cool, calm face. Show interest, show desire, but keep it cool, Arlington. You know how I am on the free throw line. I keep it cool. Sean, you're not really a good free throw th- shooter. But get on the box like I tell you all the time. Get on the box, put your hands up, and get the rebound. Tony, is it really about making a poker phase to close out these deals? Not really. It sounds like, Sean, you're a freestyle offer for maker. You kind of have to, to just send an email and justify why you offer that price. You have to talk about your buyer. Uh, you have to send a PDF of financials. It's really a textbook, and you have to explain your reasoning why you came in at that price. It wasn't meant to offend the seller. It was more the client fell in love with the house or maybe like Sean touched on. They're not in love with the property and they're not attached to it. So that's why they offer that price. So are we officially saying Sean's three C's are uh, useless? Maybe not useless, but not applicable in every single situation. But I've always been told that when you're when you're looking to buy anything, I mean, a car, a house, what have you, you know, you want to play, keep your cards close to the vest, like Sean said, and just kind of seem somewhat ambivalent, even though you're jumping up and down inside and can't wait to move in and raise your family there. You want to kind of keep it cool, you know, so that you can come back and maybe try and put a lower offer in or, you know, just not get them amped up. No, definitely not. A seller wants the most money. Buyers and seller are on on opposite ends of the spectrum. So the seller's agent wants to get the most money. The buyer's agent wants to get it for less money. So it's you have to bridge the gap. If they want the house, they have to pay retail and get in. In New York, in New York, one thing I can say about New York, you can throw an offer out there without you know justifying. But I say I always like to throw offers that. Exemplify is what Tony's saying, where it looks like I've done my homework. So if I want to put an offer for five hundred, dollars are you like a fake homework doing guy? No, I'm a negotiator. I'm the art of a deal. That's it's how starting to I'm sound like our college days. Listen, just listen to who our president is. Okay? The art of the low so work. So what I would do if I want to pay, like for example, if I want to pay five hundred thousand dollars for a property, I may put in an offer of let's just say four hundred eighty thousand dollars. Then he may come back at you know, 510 or something like that. And then we go back and forth. And then, I, then I'll do an offer like I've really thought this out and that I've come to a number based on calculations. That number could be $493,336.50. Something not to that extent. And then, and then he may come back and say, no, let's do 505000 Then I always think the best way to close a deal in that scenario, and everybody sympathizes for it. You just say to the realtor, whoever, to the seller, why don't we just meet halfway? Once you've gone back and forth and you can't find a common number, you say, why don't we meet halfway? And everybody looks like they've, they've kind of, you know, worked with each other to make the deal happen. And nine out of ten times when I get to that point and I say, well, let's just meet halfway, we, we, we come up with a price. You know, Sean, while I, 
I love the back and forth in your art of the deal negotiation style. It really only works if you're in an environment where you're not being pressed to buy that house because the demand is low, the demand is high, and the um, supply is low. Correct. And I'm not disagreeing with you guys out there. If it's a, if it's if the market is a hot market, then my plan is lock them in as quickly as you can. And then once you committed to, because the process in, is long, once you committed to, you don't want to go to somebody. You don't want to find a new buyer. Okay, we understand the negotiation. Tony's like, pay up if that's re- pay, come with the number that you really want to pay, and don't beat around the bush because you stand the risk of losing. Sean's like, you got to kind of know the market and determine if you have time to play the negotiating game. I get that. But let's just figure this out. You've now found the home. You know this is the home you want to buy, and it's time to look at mortgages. So there are a few different types of mortgages. Fixed rate, interest only, variable. And just so everybody knows what a fixed rate mortgage is, uh, that's a mortgage uh, where the interest rate remains the same through the entire life of the loan. Uh, And these are the most popular loans, right? Uh, Your most typical fixed-term loan is a 30-year, but you can get it 20 or 10-year, but 30-year is definitely the most popular, uh, representing about 75% of home loans, uh, according to the Home Buying Institute. But just keep in mind, at the beginning, on a a 30-term loan, the bulk of your payments are really going to the interest. Okay, I agree with that. So, Tony, as Dion said, there's something out there for the first-time home buyer. We're going to talk talk about it, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage. But what are the other types? You can do interest only, adjustable rate. Wait, let's go one by one. What's an interest only loan? Interest only means you're only paying the interest off for the term of the loan. Okay. So if my interest rate is 4% by whatever I paid for the property, I'm just paying that 4% times the price over the the life of the loan, whether it's five years, 10 years, whatever. Correct. Let's just say you got a $500,000 loan and it was a seven year interest only you put a hundred thousand dollar down payment, then for seven years, you're paying a four four percent interest on the debt, which is the difference between what you put down and what you borrowed. And in that loan, you're paying no principal. Exactly. Now, when would you use it? What in what case would you use that? Sorry to jump in there, Alan, but I'm just curious. That's a tool to to buy in when the market's hot, just to get in, and it's used as a tool so you can refinance later, like within six months to a year. Do a lot of people use that if they're buying something to flip? No. In flips, they do what's called a hard money loan, which is a high what interest rate. What the hell is a hard money loan? What are you making this stuff up? I've never no, heard that It's called life. a hard money loan. That's what, that's what spec builders use. But let's jump back. So here we are. We got a fixed rate. You got an interest only. And then you have adjustable. Adjustable rate gives you three different pay- payment types. You can pay the full amount. You could pay a medium and then you can pay, I think, less than, it's a less than, what's the terminology? It's like a negative, it's like a, what's called like oh, a, a negative, negative amortized like a ne- loan. Yeah, exactly. So you don't pay the full amount every month, and then you end up owing more the following month. It's like uh, paying $800 on your car payment instead of 1100 and then they take the 300 put it back, and they tack on interest. Right. So it's another tool just to get in. Yeah, the negative AM loan, the back end keeps building because you're not making the full payment. An, an adjustable rate like a loan follows the interest rate of the market. So if the market interest rate goes up, the adjustable rate goes up. It's very dangerous and risky for the first time home, t- home buyer. 
Really not recommended. Sean, when I got my first house, I did a, I think I did an interest only because I was coming in the front door knowing I was going to sell it and go out the back. But that was me. What did you do on your first? You know, for my first one, I did a a 30-year fix. But I would just say for those that are looking to get into the flipping game and haven't really have a network of hard lenders out there that they can reach out to, you know, I've used interest only mortgages to flip with my, for properties that I'm looking to buy, you know, so it depends on, you know, how, how well versed you are in the market for first time home buyers. I don't think they're, they should venture into the hard lending, hard money route of obtaining financing because it's a very tricky game and you have to know what you're doing and how to get in and out because you could be stuck with a ridiculous loan that if you're not well versed in the game, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be screwed. I want to make sure we get this in. This is really important. There are, for our listeners out there, there are several low or no down payment government loan programs out there. Um, They have looser credit rating or credit score or history requirements um, that just make home ownership more affordable and more accessible. So you have, uh, for example, VA loans. So shout out to all our veterans. We just um, observed uh, Veterans Day. There uh, are Navy federal loans. So see Navy Credit, uh, Federal Credit Union um, to, to learn more. Uh, there is the USDA's Rural Development Loan. And don't sleep on it. You know, not just confined to farmland. So definitely, you know, get online, check the maps. Uh, you, may, you may qualify. Uh, and then there's the Federal Housing Administration Loan Program, the FHA, uh, which is the most widely used. And it's actually perfect for those Uh, with imperfect credit histories. So there's a lot of different programs out there. Don't think you can't get in. So to to the listener, if you're a cop, if you're a fireman, if you're in the service, these loans are great for you. Listen, man, I'm about to use a USDA rural development loan to buy a beach house in Malibu. That sounds fantastic. Um, so we talked about loans, but let's talk about where you get those loans. You're either going to get those from a bank or a credit union. Uh, what do you guys think is the best place to go, Sean? I'm going to throw this out to you. What do you think is the best place to go? Um, wherever you get the, whatever you can get the best rates. <laughs> it's true. I met a gentleman on Monday that he's in North Carolina, and he did 100% financing on his property. And he got a great rate on it, you know, and he kept his money in his pocket and he's now selling out the property two years later and, and having a profit of about $60,000 and put nothing into it, just maintain a good credit score. But wait a second, show one, both you and Tony said that you should go where you have a relationship to start looking for your loan. Well, how did that get thrown out of the window all of a sudden? Because interest, interest rates are higher, depending on the loan, loan broker and the bank, interest rates can be higher or lower. So if you have a relationship with a lender, they're going to try to work to give you a better rate. If you go, so here there's different types of finding. Let's just talk about traditional financing, which is Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, uh, Chase. Just your traditional bank. Bank of America. Or people can borrow off their their portfolio, their retirement fund. So you're seeing today, you're seeing a lot of people that work their whole life, they're either cashing out their retirement fund or borrowing against it just to get in on a second property because they have equity in their first property. Point is, you have traditional financing and you have loan brokers. Loan brokers are more like realtors. There's a lot of them out there. They're going to give you uh, looser but more higher interest rates and, and help you get in. 
and they're not going to be as stringent as uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, a J.P. Morgan. What about credit unions? How do you feel about those? Uh, I think credit credit unions are great. They're an alternative for people who can't get traditional financing, who are not citizens, and who don't show income for more than two years. Are you saying you have to be a foreigner to get a loan from a credit union? Uh, I think citizenship does impact uh, a loan, and a lot of a lot of foreigners use credit unions, or a lot of uh, loan brokers have relationships with credit unions, and they have looser policies to help you qualify for a loan. Alrighty then. All right, so let's talk about the inspection. Tony, can you walk us through the property inspection process? Tell us about the amount of days, what you need to look for, how it how it works, because that would essentially be the next phase. Thank you. It's a good question. So, Sean, I don't know how they do it in New York, but California, we typically do 30-day escrow, 17 or 21-day inspection period. Usually, we we have the answers within one week. And we know if the house has problems. If it's brand new or remodeled, it's highly unlikely it has any any problems. It could have uh, builder defects such as waterproof, waterproofing, drywall, mold, stuff like that. But it's very minimal. When you buy an older house, they usually have a lot of problem, a lot of problems. And like Sean discussed, you hit them with a list and you ask for a concession on the price. And you do that soon into the escrow, like about two weeks. In New York City, everything is old, except for me. There you go. <laughs> you mean so, including you. So, you know, an engineering inspection, I look at it as an important vital tool to get to understand what you're buying. And, you know, I like to find my own engineer, do my own research, and not get one that's referred to me by my broker or even the bank or whoever it may be or even the seller. I like to find because his job is really just or her job is just to give you the rundown of what you're buying. And I've got, I've had a great engineer, and you know, just because you don't you don't get a good inspection doesn't mean you're not getting a good deal. Sometimes the best deals are gotten off a bad inspection. That's true. Because you can then beat them down and make them feel like they're selling you a lemon, and you're getting some. You're taking, you know, you are doing them a favor by buying their property. So the simple math should be, you know, if you see a, a, a property that gets a bad inspection, you get, you know, you look at the cost to fix it, plus the purchase price. And if that is less than the value of the property or the current market, then guess what? You found a great deal, a diamond in the rough. I agree with you. In California, so, so to clarify, in New York, when Sean's referring to an engineer, I think you're referring to what's called a structural engineer because everything's vertical. In California, you only call a structural engineer when you're blowing out a kitchen or trying to create an open living area or something's a deal break, and that's a problem. So an engineer to a realtor and a buyer is a bad thing. So out here, we, we just use traditional inspectors. The inspections are pretty minimal. They're preliminary. They don't do any real digging or anything. They don't open up walls unless you know for sure that there's the issues with the house and the seller's going to let you do that. Is that primarily because California is, is a newer city than, let's say, New York, where you're looking at much older homes? That's true, and it's LA is very spread out. All right, Dion, back to you. No, I, was, I just want to make sure, you know, do your homework in this area too. Um, there's a site called Zillow, for example. They have a list of inspectors with reviews. Um, you can use their agent finder tool. Um, you can get recommendations from friends and family. It's always a great way to go. But to keep it moving along, so the next phase would be the bank appraisal. So the appraisal is when the bank's going to send someone in 
to have a look at this home and see if it's truly worth what the owner is asking and the loan that you need. Tell me a little bit about this phase of the process and what does it mean if the home appraises out for what you're requesting or if it doesn't? Well, it's another good question, Arlington. You're not going to know. Thank you, Tony. Yeah. You're not going to know what it appraises at because the appraiser is not going to tell you. He's just going to tell you a yes or a no. Okay, but wait, let me just break it back. And maybe we need to take it in two steps. So the appraiser comes out and he says, yes, this home appraises out. What does that mean? That means he's, he's going to tell the bank the house is worth it and that they should give him the loan. So if he comes out and says no, I know this may seem silly to even ask, what does that mean? The house and the purchase price are not synonymous. They don't match. So Big Sean, I know this is right where you just start salivating when this happens. Because in your mind, you're like, it's let's make a deal time. Well, I'd like to say on the East Coast of New York, it's a little bit different. It's a little more intense here in New York. The appraiser comes on his own. The bank assigns him to come to the building. And you're not usually there when the appraiser comes. The sellers, It's just he makes an appointment with the, with the seller. He comes in. He says nothing. He, goes, he looks at the building and the structure and how many units there are. And, and, re- and then he goes on his own or she goes on her own and does her own homework and sees at most recent sales then they come back to the bank and let them know what the value, what they feel the home to, home to be worth. So in New York, we get a hard number of what the home is worth and then see if it meets the appraisal. And like Arlington said, he's absolutely right. If a building doesn't meet the appraisal, there's two options you can do. One is you can try to negotiate down the seller. And some sellers, especially in New York City where the real estate market is hot, some sellers don't even care if it doesn't meet the appraisal. It's up for you to pay down. A large a bank will just give you the option of paying down more to me, so to take away the risk from the bank. So I've seen people buy properties where they don't, where the property doesn't meet the appraisal because they're betting on the fact that the economy is booming and that the property is going to be worth more than that down the road. So the question comes down to you. Do you want to buy a property that doesn't meet the appraisal regarding requiring you to put more money down, or do you want to negotiate with the seller for a lower price? That's all true. The first-time homebuyer, the realtor, the first-time homebuyer can be emotional. They want the representative to be there. You try to interact with the appraisal as much as possible, and you want to know. You want to bother him. You're not supposed to, but it happens every day. And you try to pick at him. If there's a problem, like you said, you can go ask for a reduction. And that's what happens. Reduction can be useful in maybe they, the bank reconsidering the, the appraisal and putting the deal back together. Either way, you got a disc, discount on the price. Exactly. And just keep in mind, like people don't, first time home buyers get it twisted that the bank appraiser works for the bank and not for you. He, the, he or she works for the bank. They're there to respond. Respect to their in the best interest of the bank to make sure the bank is not over committing itself for a property. That's their role and that's it. Got you. That's it. That's all. Listen, people, we've given you a lot of information, but um, it's a lot of good stuff. And hopefully your offer will be accepted. Can I say one more thing? Can I say one more thing before we go to break? No, because I'm not done yet. I'm saying hopefully your offer will be accepted. And if not, you may need to counter but just remember, the number may change. It may go up or it may, get, it may go down. And never be afraid to walk away and live to fight another day. There will always be a home for you. Yes, Sean, now you can say your one last thing. 
I just want to say, and to add, I think what Tony said about a little earlier is that, remember, you know, if you're buying a brand new home, which a lot of people probably listen to the show are like, I'm trying to buy a brand new home, that usually comes with a minimum of a five-year warranty. And if, and if they don't come, so you may not need an engineer inspection. You may just be able to do a walkthrough to see that everything's working in, plug things in the sockets, flush the toilets, that kind of thing. And if it doesn't come with a warranty, which I've seen people buy houses without a warranty, my advice is to run hard. Do not buy a brand new house without some kind of warranty. True, true. Uh, don't even say anything because we're running hard into a break. Matt, take us away or this may never end. Thanks, Arlington. This sponsorship break is brought to you by Clean. Clean is a financial literacy program designed to educate youth in a fun and interactive way through class lessons, workshops, and web seminars. To bring it to a school or organization near you, please visit www.financiallyclean.com. Welcome back to Two Black Guys with Good Credit. Um, Tony, Sean was just saying before the break that, you know, if you're buying a new home, it's going to come with a warranty um, up to five years, he said. So any thoughts? That's true. You want to have a builder warranty. It's very important to have the builder warranty, especially in a new house, because if something does come up, the builder's responsible for it and you don't have to come out of pocket. The worst thing is chasing other people's problems and coming out of pocket. So in buying a new house, especially today's market, because people are putting up a lot of spec homes, look for a builder warranty, just like Sean said. Agree with you. Okay, so let's recap uh, the first part of our conversation. So you found a home you wanted to buy, you want to make an offer, you're looking at the different types of mortgages that are out there. You're either going to do a 30-year, a 30-year fix, a variable, an adjustable, or a negative negam, which there's not a lot of those out in the marketplace. You need to get the property inspected. Make sure it passes. You need to determine the price, determine the comps, all of those types of things to close in the deal. So here we are, the closing. Dion, what do closing costs? Closing costs are expenses over and above the price of the property that you're buying. So they include origination fees charged by the lender, uh, such as commitment fees, discount points, uh, document preparation, underwriting. I know I'm throwing a lot of terms out there. We'll get into it. Um, But there are quite a few um, fees that you really do need to account for uh, once you're going into close. There's also third-party lender fees, like the appraisal we talked about earlier, the closing attorney, uh, flood certification. So keep that in mind. Okay, so let's break down some of these topics. Tony, what's a title search? It's, it's more called title, like a title policy. It refers to the vesting on the property, who owns it, the history, and if there's a loan against it. Oh, also, the vesting on the property? How are you defining a term and throwing in a new term? What is vesting? Vesting means how the title is deeded. Uh, Fred Flintstone Trust, LLC, John Smith. It's, it's, when you say deeded, you mean who act, whose name is actually on the deed of the property, the title to the property? Exactly. How it appears on title. Okay. Underwriting and discount rates, what are those? Underwriting is uh, a group of people that work for the bank, and they're, they're looking at all the financial factors that go into somebody's loan, and they're either approve, approving them or not, and... I don't know about underwriting fees because you're supposed to get a kind of a fixed number from the lender, but things change and vary and they get negotiated out the very end. And when you see a closing statement while you're in escrow, 
there's always fees that pop up and somebody always gets upset. <laughs> See, and now you went and brought in escrow. We weren't there. I know. Okay, Tony, so I get the underwriting. Now explain the discount rates for our first time home buyer. Well, Arlington, another great question. <laughs> if now you're, you're mocking me. If you're a great buyer, if you have gr- good financial situation, the bank's going to give you a better rate. And also, first, first-time home buyers qualify for discounts. So that's what you're referring to. So at the end of closing, you're going to get a credit back off the final, uh, the final total. So this is a, So when you say it's a discount rate, what are they discounting? They're discounting the interest rate. Okay. But they may not change your down payment or the process or anything like that. They'll just, make, they'll just give you some bonuses. It's like, a, like little freebies here and there. So it's not going to cost me anything? Is that what you're saying? It's not going to change anything. They're just trying to lure you in uh, so you accept the loan. But I've been in a situation where they're talking about if you pay down an extra $2,000, they can take the rate down by you know, an eighth of a point or a quarter point. Yeah, do it. Take whatever they but offer. But isn't that like a typical discount rate, or is that one aspect of a discount rate? It's just one aspect. Okay. All right, so we get the discount rate. I always find it kind of funny because I feel like just as you're about to close, you've come in prepared to pay X amount of dollars. They try and squeeze a couple more bucks out of you um, in order to close the deal. Can I just make a comment? Because... You know, you do get offered many different rate options, and typically you can pay down on a rate to lower the interest rate. But I'm not recommending that you do it in every single case. You got I'm an, a very analytical type of guy and quantitative guy. You know, I, I can't advise I can't advise you whether to pay down on the rate or not to. It depends on you have to do the math to determine if the cost of paying down the rate outweighs the saving. For example, my friend's mom bought an investment property. And when I was helping her to buy their home, I advised her not to pay down on the rate because she was only going to keep the property for about three years. And if you did the math, it would take her seven years to reap the real savings of the discounted rate. So at the end of the day, I think it's something that you got to do your homework and look at your payment versus what you're going to be saving with the discount rate. Because some of the times banks, I've known banks to charge overpriced the cost of buying down the rate. Oh, wow. So you're definitely saying you need to show up to that closing with a calculator. No, you got to do this prior. you got to lock in on the rate prior. So you need to, you got to usually lock in the rates 90, 60 to 30 days before you close. Can I, can Wait, I tell is you? that right? Wait, now I'm confused. Are you locking this rate in 60 or 90 days prior to closing? But we're actually talking about the discount rate. The discount offer doesn't actually occur until you're in the room closing the deal that day. Is that correct? Uh, no, that, that bank might offer that discount rate to you when you first go to them and seek them out and you submit a, uh, your, what's it called? Your pre, uh, pre-approval, pre-approval, your pre-approval and the pre-qual package, they're going to offer you that discount to lure you in. So you go with them and then throughout the process, they have to honor that. So at the very, very end, you have to make sure you look at the closing statement, make sure it's in there. And if, it probably is 100%, but there's probably going to be other fees they're going to tack on to make up for that. And that's what we're talking about. You got to really look at the closing statement because they always overcharge you for escrow and title. Happens all the time. Well, you got to lock in the rate. It's called a lock in period. You have a lock in period and it has an expiration date. If you're not closing in a timely manner, that lock in period could expire and your rate could adjust favorable or it could even get down depending on where the market is. So you can do a 30, 60, or 90 day lock in. And that means that rate is guaranteed regardless of what happens in the market. Dion, do rates vary across the country? They do. I thought you might find this interesting. Uh, According to bankrate.com, the states with the highest closing rates in 2016 were Hawaii, 
New York. Wow. That kind of makes sense. And That's North fun. Carolina. New York for sure. Yeah. And oh, North Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. And then the states with the lowest closing costs were Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Kentucky. So, for example, um, just to give you guys an idea, a home in L.A. for 200000 uh, the average closing cost is about $2,257 versus New York, which would be about $2,560 uh, versus Kentucky, which would be about $1,800. And seven, uh, $1,800. So uh, bank rate, again, a great resource. You can just click um, buy state fee by fee to get a breakdown of your closing costs. So again, there's no surprises. You know what the surprise is, Dion? Tell For two hundred k in New York or LA, you just bought a <laughs> nice piece of open air under a bridge. You bought somebody's garage. <laughs> <laughs> you bought a garage. So, Sean, didn't you have a funny closing um, closing cost story, or do you have any specific tips? You already gave us the bring a calculator. What else do you have? I always understand that a lawyer is there to make sure that you don't everything is done within within the law. He's not your negotiator. He's not someone that's going to find you discounts. So to me, I always bring my cheat sheet in. I ask my lawyer prior to closing, write me down a list of all the expenses that, I, that you should expect at closing. And I have a sheet with a pen and a paper. And as, as I write a check, I check off that expense to make sure it matches up. And I remember one time when I was buying a commercial property, there was a $250 expense, which the bank's lawyer which is not my lawyer. So the bank comes with their lawyer, the seller has their lawyer, and the buyer has their lawyer. The bank lawyer charged me $250 for a transportation fee, for him coming to the closing where the bank assigned the place. And it was really about a five-mile drive. It was from Long Island to Brooklyn. And that's probably, you know, Malibu to where Arlington lives, which is a five-mile drive. And they charged me $250. And I said to the banker, I said to the lawyer, how did you get here? Did you fly? Did you, take a, did, you, did you take a private jet? And they couldn't answer. And they said, basically, if I don't pay this fee, we're not closing today. My lawyer looked at me, looking at me, gave me a look, Sean, are you serious? You're not going to pay this $250 and we're not going to close today? My lawyer is willing to walk out the door and not represent me anymore. And everybody was looking at me. I'm this cheap guy not wanting to pay $250 transportation costs. And I wanted this property because it was an investment property that I knew I could do well on. So I had to suck it up at that moment, and I paid the $250. But I took that lawyer to small claims court. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Three months later. Separate issue. Separate issue. And she showed up to night court and didn't even dispute it and wrote me a check for $250 plus, my, plus court fees. Good job, Judge Judy. Well, you know what they say in the West Indies, you tight like fish scales. <laughs> <laughs> tight, tight, tight. Nope. Your money is tight. your money. Protect your money. And God is two fifty your back. business. You know what? Protect your I money. I commend you. I don't know if it was worth it, but I do commend you for doing it. And, you know, Sean's making a great point. Like, at the end of the day, like he always says, your money is your money. So if you got to be prepared to fight for it. All right, guys. We're in the closing. This is the end. Any last words? Is there anything you want to tell the people? Going once. Congrats, guys. You got your house. You got a hat and you got a free ball of soup. Going twice, Sean. Welcome to the club. The club of debt. (laughs) All right. Going three times. That's it. Welcome to the American dream. You will be in the the biggest, longest lasting debt of your life. And uh, yeah. We're glad you're here. Matt, take us away. Thanks, Arlington. 
This commercial break is brought to you by Canvas Malibu. Canvas Malibu is a boutique and contemporary art gallery located in Malibu, California. At Canvas Malibu, it starts with art, and their curated offering of shoes, apparel, accessories, and art are a definite must-see. Canvas Malibu is located in the Malibu Country Mart or online at canvasmalibu.com. Tony, you were telling me a great story in the break about um, an experience you had of closing cost with a, a recent client. Can you share that? So a colleague of mine is in escrow on a house. They've been escrow for about three months. The purchase price is about seven million bucks. Now it's gone down. It's gone down to the wire of closing. This is the week they're supposed to close. What were they arguing about? They're arguing over closing fees. The the original escrow fee was estimated a lot less than it ended up being on the closing statement. Same with the title, and, and there was other fees too. So to, today they they met with a buyer, and the buyer and the seller were at the property. And he was saying there's eight grand in additional fees, and he wasn't going to close. Eight grand. Eight grand, and the escrow, and the and the escrow fee was supposed to be thirty three hundred, and the title was supposed to be twenty three hundred. So now you're eight grand over. So the escrow is eight. I think it was eight thousand instead of thirty three hundred. So they were pissed. Wow, fish scales. You're not the only one, because our producer said eight grand. It's a seven million dollar deal, but like Sean says. Your money is your money. Um, So let's recap. Okay, so today's show, we're wrapping it up, the offer, the closing. So you made the offer based on comps, strategy, and a bit of intuition, like Sean likes to do. You shopped around for a great rate on your mortgage, and you probably did a 30-year fix like most people did. You've signed off on your inspection. You went to your closing with a calculator and a notebook in hand, and you closed the deal with a smile. That's it, people. That's what the show is about. If you didn't get it, I suggest you press rewind. Tony, any last words? It's been fun, guys. Thanks for having me again. You know what? It was our pleasure. Thanks for coming back and sitting in on not one, but two shows. You're now initiated, Tony. (laughs) Now two black guys with good credit and Tony. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matt, take us away. Keep it locked. Two black guys with good credit. Don't leave. We got a little more for you. NickNightDirect.com is a fast, easy way to shop online. To buy an item from any U.S. website, just go to NickNightDirect.com. That's N-I-C-N-A-T Direct.com. Choose your method of payment and we'll ship, handle duties, and deliver your item straight to your door. I'm Sean of NickNightDirect.com and you have my word. All right, people, my bottom line this week is simple. A home is most people's largest asset in life. You hear that? In life. So take your time, be smart, do your homework, grab a calculator, start doing your math. Don't just accept what people say. And don't be discouraged if you don't get the first or even the second home that catches your eye. Because as a smart realtor once told me, you will get the house that is meant for you. And you're going to love it. Nice. My takeaway is... I know we spent two shows discussing how to buy a home and what, to par- and what the process is, and it may seem a little overwhelming. It may even seem intimidating, but this is something, this is not optional. This is something you must do, and don't let it overwhelm you. You know, it's a process. You'll get through it. Just surround yourself with the right people and the people with the expertise to help you navigate through the process, but you must look to buy a home. 
And guys, uh, when they say do your homework, I'm just going to recap all those wonderful resources at your fingertips, uh, like Redfin, which is a great, great first-time homebuyer resource, just like uh, the Home Buying Institute. I mean, it's their mission to help homebuyers with tips and, and tricks to buy their home. Um, Zillow is great. Uh, Tony may think otherwise, but uh, they have agent finder tools, um, bankrate.com, which has great online calculators. Uh, Again, you want to minimize surprises on closing day. Uh, And uh, take time to research those government loans. If that's the last word I say on this show, there is money out there. You just have to look for it. Certainly... Send your emails. We're always happy to answer your questions to tbgwgc at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Black Guys Good Credit. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It makes it easier for those to find us. Um, Like this gentleman who left us a great review on Instagram. He said, listening to your podcast makes me feel more human. Before I felt like I was the only one making certain types of financial mistakes. Thank you, Kevin Estes. Uh, We're all on this journey together. All right. I'm Arlington, one half of two black guys, the bus driver trying to put this bus in the station. And I'm about to debut my new tagline. Drum roll. It's the game of life, people. It's wants versus needs. Figure it out. And I'm Sean, the better half of two black guys with good credit. And as I say, you tell you every week, your money is your money. And I'm out. See you next month. And I'm Dion, the lady with the history, the stats, and the whole cold hard facts. And I'm out. When you're not opening presents this holiday season, try smashing your way through some tricky chocolate-coated levels on Candy Crush Saga. In between dinner and dessert, switch and match. During one of Uncle Mike's long stories, master the candy. There are thousands of levels to play in the all-time favorite classic match three game. Get that sweet feeling this holiday with Candy Crush Saga. Download it now from the App Store or Google Play for free.